Uh, and he said, oh, it's late. Why did we start so late? And I said, Johnny, if you'd gotten up earlier, we wouldn't be late. Johnny asked me if I were afraid. And I said, I'm not afraid, Johnny. And then this man started walking up the road. He came slowly, and Johnny kept teasing me and saying, he's coming to get you, Barbara. Wrong. And I laughed at him and said, Johnny, stop it. Wrong. And then Johnny ran away. And I... I went up to this man. Wrong. And I was going to apologize. Wrong. Why don't you just keep calm? Wrong. Blood and Black Rum Podcast presents Night of the Living Dead. Hey guys, welcome back to the Blood and Black Rum Podcast. I'm Ryan from the MoonIsDeadWorld.net. I'm joined by my co-host Martin. How's it going? I'm pretty good. Um, we're we're here in the podcast on somber terms, though. Uh, as you probably have heard, the legendary horror director George Romero recently passed away. A little sad. A little upsetting to hear. Um, thought that guy was never going to die, to be honest with you. He definitely looked like a man that was going to... You know, be battle weary and last like one ten. I, I mean, like an Avagoda. <laughs> I mean, for sure. It was uh, kind of interesting because when I heard about it, I was listening to a podcast, and it was actually a horror podcast that was talking about like the most influential horror films and the ones that um, were really important. And they were talking about Night of the Living Dead in that podcast. And then Sarah just happened to check her phone and saw that was on Twitter. You know, George Romero his death was t- trending on Twitter. And it was kind of interesting because we were watching that or we were listening to that podcast episode and it just happened to come up and it was, it was really strange and fortuitous moment. Not, I mean, and, and crazy too. Um, I mean, I guess like his death probably was not totally unexpected, especially since he had lung cancer. And, oh, is that what you, I didn't, yeah, it was, I, it was, it was, I didn't it, even really bother to look to see of what he died of. Yeah, it was, it was lung cancer was, and you know, it probably was, coming for a while and i'm i'm assuming that for uh, for a variety of reasons most of them one of them because aero video recently just an, they just announced this uh new blu-ray release pack of it's like after night but before dawn and they're going to release like some of the films that he shot within there like season of the witch and things like that um and so that was like a very you know that's i i don't really believe that that was just a coincidence i think that they probably knew that soon was going to be, you know, when he passed away. So I think it was kind of like a, like we got to get it out there. No, I think that's more coincidence. You do? I don't don't think think that'd be, I think that's kind of shitty. Like, Hey George, we got this bundle. We want to release of your films, but we think I talked to our marketing director and they told us peak marketing times to get these movies out is when you're going to die. Cause as everyone knows, when people die, no, I don't their think stuff, it... their, their stuff gets revisited because people are, like, oh yeah, that was that was great, and then, you know, like like the stuff that was you know heralded as being great is you know turned into masterpieces, and then the stuff that you know was like it's okay is like now like wow what a forgotten gem that is. No, I don't think which that... I, which I'm sure that might happen now. You know, more people are probably 
Wow, the crazies. That's you know, that's a lot better than the first time I saw that. You know. Yeah, I, I mean, I wouldn't say that. I think that they were. That was like an intentional thing where they were like, "Oh, you know, he's knocking on death's door. Okay, we got to release this." But you know, at the same time, I think that they definitely knew it was coming at some point, and so they wanted. To, I, I'm not even saying that they wanted to release it now at that point, but they wanted to. I'm, I, and I don't know the specs on that release, but I'm assuming they probably have like some conversations with George Romero on there. So I'm thinking that they wanted to get those out before he died. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it makes sense that they would want to like actually have interviews with him and stuff on there before uh, he passed away. But um, I mean, it, it still was kind of a shock and definitely a ripple effect through the horror community. I mean, everybody was talking about it that next day and a couple days and you know it's here it is a couple days later we're still talking about it still seeing you know think pieces and articles about george romero's work um and we wanted to do a little retrospective because i'd probably put him say he's probably one of the most top five influential horror directors of all time yeah in your opinion like for like for you as for what you've seen or or in general like influential to like other directors too is it both. I mean, I, I mean, for me, because when I think about, like, for me, like, when you think of, like, the great horror directors, mm-hmm. it'd be Carpenter. It'd be number one for me. Mm-hmm. Wes Craven. Romero. Cronenberg. And then probably the fifth one, I'd have to kind of mull over. You're not sure yet. I'd have to, like, think. like, But those are the four that would come to, like, mine. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, my mind, like, instantaneously. I know for you, it'd be, like, more like, you know... You know, you might throw Dario Argento in there, though. I know, like, Jallo's technically not horror, but, you know, as we talked about before on the show. But, I mean, it is... Sure, I would... It does e- have, you know, yeah. elements. No, I mean, I would I would definitely consider that as part of the whole genre and say, yeah, I mean, Dario Argento, Argento certainly had quite an influence. Um, yeah, I, I really don't know, like, my top five directors, but I would say Romero's up there as well. And, you know, we kind of... We'll, talk about it a little bit as we get further well, into the say, show but mull it over when as the podcast mull it, mull it over and see that's, like what i think it's just like a random thing i just thought of though right now it's just like if i had to think of and i don't think people would consider cronenberg really a horror director but at the same time i think you know a lot of, i mean he did do quite a few horror films though no i, mean. I know i agree and i think just like the way his films you know were shot and like the way he like the atmosphere that he was able to capture in his films you know or I mean, I, I would say, this is off topic a little bit, but I would say that if you're saying David Cronenberg was not a horror director, then you're wrong. Not, I'm not saying yeah. that you're th- saying that, but I'm saying, like, if somebody says that, they're wrong. I mean, there's a lot of, I mean, Videodrome, The Fly, Dead Ringers, Rabbit. You, know, you can go through his his uh, whole repertoire, and I would say that even if it wasn't particularly, like, a horror film, even in terms of, like, the plotting, mm-hmm. it's still... The atmosphere. Well, yeah, the-, the atmosphere, the whole body element to it, I would say it still puts it in that realm. Yeah. Even, it, you know, and I, I don't really like people who say, like, well, this is a thriller. It's not a horror. It's like, what? I mean, now you're it getting nitpicky. It yeah, it's bo- like, hey, what? It can- <laughs> why, why does it, why if it's, House, like, a just, thriller, say, why we would just you say... Did, we just did House on Haunted Hill, and that's a horror film. And a thriller. It's a yeah. And a noir. And a, yeah, noir <laughs> and like almost a crime caper in yeah. some parts. And yeah, I mean, I, I don't think that you can go get away with saying like, well, that one, you know, I re- wouldn't really put that in the horror sphere because it's more of a thriller. It's like I don't, I don't <laughs> get it. That's that's it's like going overboard with like generalizing things. But um, yeah, I mean, we did that Wes Craven retrospective, and that was really fun. So we thought, you know, we wanted to pay homage to uh, George Romero and kind of talk about 
some of his films before we really get into the one film that we're covering today. It was a um, a poll result, basically. They put it up on Twitter and Facebook to see what everybody wanted us to cover for this episode of the podcast. You know, what film should we focus on? Because if you remember back when we way, 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 way back, like some of our first episodes when we did the Wes Craven retrospective, we actually did, you know, we talked about Wes Craven and his films, but then we went into New Nightmare. We did that one yeah. specifically. So it's always good to like kind of do a film specifically and in, in, in remembrance of the director and so we chose well we didn't choose you guys chose uh listeners and twitter users chose uh night of the living dead in the poll and it was actually really close too uh this like when we first started out we didn't have a huge amount of votes um it was actually dawn of the dead was leading for quite a while but that's the i say that's how voting works you have the some people who are the early risers and then you know you they get, like come in late in the game and they they're the whales they change everything well yeah they're the, like what uh you know republicans they say like oh democrats get out early to vote because they have no jobs <laughs> yeah <What? laughs> that was exactly what it was like with the with the podcast no, voters. Like, I, oh. you know i've had somebody when i was working at um when I worked at Stewart's, I had like when uh, the election between Obama and Romney. I was working a night shift, and that on election day, one of the guys came and he's like, "Don't!" He's looking at the electoral, electoral college map break. I was like, "Don't worry, Romney's got this." Dem- he's only leading because Democrats weren't working today because they don't work. <laughs> yeah, Republicans are getting out from work now, so we're gonna we're gonna get this. And then he was there for like three hours watching the news and just watching his face kind of slowly. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, um, I think that. Like, in this case, it was really close between Dawn of the Dead and Night of the Living Dead because I put out the poll and I really gave I, – I basically gave the deads. You know, I, that was those were the three choices. And I'm not talking about the later deads. I'm talking about the early deads, like Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, and Day of the Dead. Those I do are three wanna choices. Do, I do want to do the later deads, though. Oh, Actually, yeah, to be honest with you, I want to do them all, but that's going to be a – Well, everybody wanted to see – there was a, quite a few people who were commenting and they were like, you should do them all at some point. And I said, well, we will at some point. I mean, maybe not in this particular episode because that would be a lot to cover. You know, just to, to do them all in one episode, it would be really tough. I think we'd have a lot more to say. We, we have had, a lot no, to no, say. No, about, we would. We would because we just recently did a three-movie episode for uh, – That's uh, for, hard. And a, a friend podcast yeah. for the Friday the 13th series. We did parts one through three and that was – which at first I didn't think like, man, we're you know we might get quite a bit to talk about the first one. But the second and third one, I don't know how much, but, but we – you're wrong. <laughs> we had we powered a, through those. Yeah, yeah, we had a lot to lot to say. And it's you know, I, and I have a lot to say with the dead series because I, I've seen them all. Yeah, I know you haven't seen one of them. What? You still haven't seen Diary, have you? Oh no, I have not seen Diary. You're yeah, right. You're so. right. Yeah. No, but um, I mean, I want to do them all. I mean, I'm not particularly like itching to do land or survival because i've seen both of those and i'm not a fan but i'm itching to do both i would like to do both of them i mean i think they'd be fun in a way but i you know i, I say it's off topic but it's not off topic because because like i said even though the episode's about night living dead we are celebrating romero we're celebrating george romero in his life i will say works. um because i don't know when we'll get to land of the dead to like do like a full thing but i will say when i first saw land of the dead was not a fan at all. I have, I have to be honest with you. I, 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 abs- I um, absolutely disliked it. Yeah. I thought the casting in it was miserable. Outside of uh, fucking Dennis Hopper, who is always fucking a brilliant bastard, especially when he's playing like an evil bastard. Yeah. Um. But I, no. But I, but I didn't really. I, I just. I didn't. 
I didn't really enjoy. I didn't really enjoy the plotting. I didn't really enjoy like what was going on in the movie, and I thought like it was pretty bland. Not only that, it came out the same year as the remake of Dawn, right? Yeah, I, the, I think so. And at the time, see, this is being a foolish teenager. I thought the remake of Dawn was like that's that's this is a good movie, and I didn't I hadn't seen the original Dawn of the Dead before I saw that. So I thought like the, like Zack Snyder's Dawn. I thought that like yeah, that was a good movie. I liked it. So it, it I, to me it was also weird just seeing like how like they both had a lot of like si- like similarities like the whole like fucking Lost World Jurassic Park trailer you know RV thing of doom. Yeah, you know, trucking around like oh get, yeah, they get the studios together creating on that one. the creating yeah. like the whole RV of Doom thing. Like like yeah. it's like, a, like, like we got like toys to sell, so both these movies got to have them in there. That'd be yeah, uh, or something like that. That's like the cynical side of me. But anyway, when I first saw like Land, I didn't like it at all. I liked the remake of Dawn. I thought it was pretty good. Um, now that I've you know gotten older and grown a little wiser, I can appreciate Land more. Not saying I love it. But it's like after you know, I don't think it's that as bad as a film as I thought it was. And now the remake of Dawn, I'm like that, this is awful. This is an absolute albatross, terrible. Oh, you think Dawn, the remake of Dawn, is awful? Yeah. I wouldn't say that it's awful. I oh, think yeah. it's just different. It's like in that like sort of twenty eight days later, uh, but twenty eight days later remake craze. Of yeah, no, but twenty eight days later is like smart. Yeah, it is. But I, I mean, I like Dawn of the Dead. As I sound a, like an idiot. As a it's remake. Like, it's like. Like smoke. No, I mean, I, I like Dawn of the Dead as a remake. Um, there's know, some looking, parts. Look, no, no, there's some parts I like about it. Like, and at the time, kind of you know reflect really well. Like the whole how they did like the whole news scenario and yeah. It, and I, I I did like the I still like the opening of the whole. Yeah, do you remember that when that like first came out and there was the opening like yeah. the first ten minutes or something was on Facebook or whatever what MySpace maybe it, at MySpace, that time? Yeah, Facebook. I think it was MySpace at the time. Uh and that was on, you know, the like everywhere, really. And I think they even aired it on TV actually at one point. Like there was like here's the first ten minutes of Dawn of the Dead. Yeah. No, but it was really good. It was like really cool. The only thing I don't like about it is I don't like running zombies. I agree. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't. I'm not a huge the, fan of those. The whole appeal to me with the zombie genre is the fact that the, it's the me, you know menacing slowness of them, and not only that, it's the numbers that's going to get. Yeah, you. the the sheer number. And I think like we'll talk about that, but Night of the Living Dead does that pretty well in yeah. terms of like, oh, there's one. Okay, that it's not a big deal. There's one. Like, I mean, obviously Ben can hit him over the head with a tire iron, and that's it. But then all of a sudden they multiply, and we'll talk about that a little bit uh, when we get into Land of the Living Dead specifically. But I do like that as well, like just the the sheer number of them and how they congregate and multiply. It's almost like you know when you're talking about, um, especially the way the fact the universe has been set up in the Dead series of it's not like there's there isn't an explanation. We don't know how people become zombies. Yeah, I mean, Knight tries to give us one, but really... No, but all, all the films do. But they're not, like, explanations. Yeah, it's not like, it's not like just, that's the main one. Just, it's yes, like, oh, and, that's definitely what happened. Yeah, and, yeah. and Knight, it's... Oh, there's a satellite. There's a satellite that, that exploded. Crashed, that could have radiation that's doing it. And Dawn, the best guess is like, Oh, there's no ro- more room in hell. We become decadent assholes. There's no more room in hell for souls, so they're just, you know, coming to roam the earth now. Yeah, much more, uh, I guess, pessimistic viewpoint from that one, and so on from like day. And yeah. So I mean, there's no, there's no continuity, there, and I think that's totally fine. 
Because uh, to be honest with you, I don't think... I don't know, in that setting, like, you would be able to find, you know... Like, the, the main reason? No, especially as, like, the... I know the I'm, films. I know the films aren't joined together, but by the time you get to day and like how things, it's like it's the zombie no, apocalypse. No one's, has been no going one's on researching for a while. it at that point. No well, one's no, like. Well, not only that, but I mean, like in day, the, by the time you get to day, uh, like I said, although the films are disjointed and they're not directly connected, you can. It's following a time. We don't know how much time in day, like when you get by the time we get the day of the dead, how much time has passed between like the beginning and where they're at now. You just know at that point. About one percent of the population's left, and there's this, the group you're following is a literally a very small band of people who are held up in a military bunker. And the scientist there, the main scientist, is just more worried about trying to figure out. Well, we can't fucking figure it out. We don't have the resources. We don't have the people. We don't have anything to do. Yeah. So instead of trying to figure out how it happened and how to fix it and how to like make it so they're not, uh, you know. We're going to just try to figure out how to deal with it. Yeah, it's not really important at that point, like, what happened. <laughs> yeah. They don't really care at that point. You know, there's, it's like, who cares what made them this way? We need to figure out how to stop this from Yeah, and then by the time you get to land, it's like, well, we, we, we don't fucking know. We just kill them, and we build, you know, we finally were able to kind of assemble some resemblance of civilization by building, like, bigger cities, and we can kind of keep watching, you know. And that's that. Yeah. And... I think that's the most interesting part about like the building of the the franchise because as we'll talk about a little bit, Night of the Living Dead is really is the most disconnected from the rest of the Dead films in terms of like not only it's when it first you know premiered, but also like the way that it treats its zombies and how they move and how they operate, uh, their like their their fears like fire. Um, it's very much a different sort of um, scenario than like Dawn of the Dead when you get into it, and and, and again, the I, zombies have evolved, like I guess you would say in this case if you're giving benefit to the screenwriters and the director's vision, they which evolved, would be, which would be George Romero, right? Exactly, they <laughs> evolved um, rather than you know just saying like oh well they decided to go a different route for this one. And again, it makes sense though, like out of all the films, this to be you know night to be the most. Because yeah, I'm pretty sure he had like after that he was like, all right, that's it. Yeah, there's no pro- thought process. This and he was wasn't like planning the baby. on you know, yeah. he wasn't like planning on doing like a sequel, even though like it made a shit ton of money, especially for the budget that it had. Oh sure, yeah. He's just probably like, all right, and then like down the road he's probably. I mean, yeah, it was yeah. it was the the baby of the of his you know his his uh, idea, and there wasn't it was such a low budget at the time anyway that he was probably just happy to get this out and not thinking into the future and like, well, now that I've got Night of the Living Dead out, I've got to think about the sequels that have got to come after it and they've got to, you know, fit with the uh, everything that we did with Night of the Living Dead. It's, uh, I mean, I, I definitely don't fault that, for, you know, in terms of like how you view Night of the Living Dead and then you go right to Dawn of the Dead and it's completely, you know, it's a little bit different in terms of how the zombies operate, but it's uh, interesting how that came to be and how how different the zombies become as we get further into the series uh what do you what do you you want to take a break and we'll come back and we'll talk about some beer and then 
We'll a little bit about Romero. Go a little bit into Romero and then uh, into Night of the Living Dead. Sure. All right. Sounds good. We'll be back. Stay tuned. Uh, we're going to hear from one of our podcast friends. Hi, this is Derek from The Wild Pitch. And I'd like to talk to you about something that's very important to me. My podcast, The Wild Pitch. Now, since you clearly don't have access to a skip button, listen to this. Eat as many brats as possible. And this. An in-home cat communication system that allows your feline friends to talk to you through a series <laughs> of intricate bell rings and button presses. <laughs> and how about that? I imagine it would be about as satisfying as drinking orange juice after having a burrito. Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google, uh, I don't know, stare into the sun and you might hear it. It'll buzz in your ears. What a great message from our podcast friends. Definitely uh, give them a shot and have a listen. Check them out. Love uh, supporting our podcast friends. I love it when they support us. That's right. We have a good support team. All right, so um, let's talk a little sounds bit about... Like it sounds like a nice PSA. That's right. It was. Yeah, it was. Hey, the, kids, how to support just podcasts. Don't, don't do drugs. How to, mm-hmm. you know, how to support your, your friends and... And uh, promote yourself and, and your self-worth as well. And feel, feel good about yourself. I'm Stuart Smalley. <laughs> All right, so let's talk a little bit about George Romero. Um, we, we talked a, you know somewhat about some of his, his uh, dead films. Um, what do you mean to you as a, as a director and, and his films specifically? I mean, obviously, you know, you are probably most well-versed in his dead films, I would think, yes. right? Yeah. Um, I have seen his other films, not just the dead films. I've seen, you know, The Crazies mm-hmm. and... Uh, I haven't seen Martin. Which we talked about, and, and people I, people did, were really interested in having us do Martin, too. We had I, a few I did, write-ins for I, Martin. And I did, too, because I read online that it's his favorite film. Mm-hmm. I said um, it would be too confusing. You'd just be confused all the time. You're like, um, who, who's he talking about, Martin? We, I said we'd have to. You'd have to be Chris for that episode. Mm. <laughs> you, you couldn't be Martin because yeah. we constantly be saying Martin, and then it would just get like, huh? Yeah. Well, but no, I haven't seen that. But I've seen the crazies a couple of times. You know, I think that's. Um, but I've seen, I've def, it's definitely the dead films I've seen the most. I've seen Night of the Living Dead. I've seen a million times. Mm-hmm. I've seen Dawn of the Dead a million times. Quite a few times. I, and I've seen Day of the Dead. A million times. Which one's your um, the one that you've seen the least amount of times? Out of all the dead films? Um, out of the three. Out of the trilogy there. The first three. The first three? Yeah. Day. Day's the one that you've seen the least? But it's, Same for me. But it's, a, it's narrow. Because Day 2 is also one that I didn't didn't care for at first either. Yeah. The, the, it, it took like it took a second viewing to be kind of like, I, I get it now. Like The, the first time I saw it, I was like... The effects are great in this. This, you know, Tom Savini is working. This is fucking great. But it's like some of like just the weird choices, like the because again, when you think about it, Day was made in the heart of the eighties, so you had this weird Caribbean tropical synth score going on throughout. I thought that was like weird and like like this is distracting. But like yeah. now, now I think about like man, like this is one of the best parts of the film is just kind of like how. Yeah, you I know, mean, like I, how I, like off-putting and like, I think that has to do with like the atmosphere of it too. Is it, like in the military base and stuff? Yeah. See, it feels a lot different than 
like the mall from Dawn of the Dead. Just like you know, the same thing. The same. Well, you could say the mall is iconic, but the same thing like the farmhouse too is iconic. It's yeah. I mean, the farmhouse certainly has inspired quite a few other things. Uh, one of them being the weakest season of The Walking Dead. Um, Every season is the weakest season. Yeah. <laughs> well, but I would say season two is the most is the weakest. But you know, but I think all of the films have some sort of iconic uh, element to them. And I would say that I, I understand where you're coming from with Day of the Dead because it does feel so different. Like if you know, even though the zombie element is still pretty pretty close to Dawn of the Dead, the atmosphere of it and like the makeup composition of the film itself does feel different than Dawn of the Dead. I think too that um and I'm not saying with 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 Dawn and like Well not Dawn, but I'm not saying with like Day, I would say after night, I'd say night and dawn do a lot of innovating. You know, well, it's, well, it's not like I. It's not like my opinion. Everyone would say dawn and day. And I, I mean, dawn and night are very innovative. I'd say day is innovative, innovative, but in the sense of like its setting and like some of its story elements, it's very cliche for the eighties. The fact that it is like a military base and. Every line is like "fuck this, fuck that." It's like you know something you expect from like a lot t- of the, a lot of cursing, like a, like like an eighties action you know horror film. So like it fits in the realm, but I think what Romero does with Day is innovative and does end up turning something to be something unique and interesting and totally different from the norm. Is I'd say the same thing with like Land. You know, Land too has like an aesthetic to it that's you know kind of fits in the time that it was made and seems like it's in, like influenced in the time that it was made but it does enough there to like you know stand out and be like interesting enough i say where it kind of falls off is like with like diary or it's like you can tell like okay like cloverfield and like movies like that came out so it's like oh it's gonna be handheld and and in that respect you know that it doesn't the work. found footage style yeah, and it doesn't yeah. you know it's unfortunately not successful enough in, you know, taking something that's going on in the time and then adapting it into something into of its own and, you know, like, wow, what a great film. Yeah, I know a lot of people um, actually do like Diary a lot, and I, I, I confess I haven't seen it. Um, so I, I don't. No, I know you don't. I don't at all. I know but that it's not, it's... it's... <laughs> I know a lot of people have said that they did enjoy it for what it was. So it's, I mean, that's interesting. I don't, I don't, I can't say either way because I've never seen it before, but. See, that's why I would, I would like to do Diary because one, I think, I, I don't know where you'd find the enjoyment in it because it's, it's too ham fisted in it's like message of. And that's part of, of the reason why I didn't like survival is because of it's so ham fisted. And it, it's even it's, 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 it's very even cheesy. no, but, but it's even worse in Diary because it's the whole plot of Diary. And I, I'm not trying to disparage the man now. It, right now, it seems he's like dead, Martin. Oh, he's, I know, I know, but you don't like it's not proper to. No, I know. I, that's what I'm saying. Oh, okay. Well, go easy on the man. He can't. No, play I, back now. I, I am. But I'm. My point is like the whole plot of Diary is like the whole cultural context and like like kind of like 
social, you know, social political view on is like how media is this become this behemoth and we become obsessed with it and how it relates to us and then become like with the internet and TV and that's why it, it does a whole found footage style because it's like these film students are filming the the beginning of the zombie apocalypse starting to happen and what's going on and how like it's affecting them like oh my friend just got eaten and it's on camera but that message is so like over the top because like one of their friends is getting attacked and like eaten like put the camera down like and like help them and, like i can't this must be recorded on film and it's like nobody's ever no he's like, got to document the entire thing yeah it's like no come on no that, that's that's fucking retarded Granted, I think that, like that, like being that preposterous can work, but the, the talent, like with the actors and stuff in the film, is, is just not there to pull that off. So I, 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 so I think if he had like the right talent underneath him to like kind of get that across, it could work. Like, it, like if it was like the people in Night and Dawn and Day, it's just not there though in Diary. So it's yeah. it's like you would need literally like a. Ken Forey, you know. Someone like that to, to lead it, to actually be able to... Make, you know, yeah. Entertain the, the audience. Yeah. And make it, you know... I make, don't think there is anybody in Diary that's even, like, a well-known actor, is there? Not that I know. Yeah, I don't survival. think so. I mean, I... The only reason in Land is because it is a blockbuster. It was an independent film. Universal. One of the cool things about Land is how it opens with the classic, like, Universal black and white intro of the, yeah kind of harkening back to the third like yeah. and stuff like that in the third yeah, in the 30s and uh universal monsters um i don't want to blow our load on all of these other dead films yeah. because we're probably going to cover them at some point i surmise but um let's just talk real quick what is your favorite dead film or should i have prefaced this beforehand should i asked you before the break it's a toss-up between Dawn or Day. Leaning probably slightly more towards Dawn. I think I would say Dawn as well. I think I, th- I think it's close. Again, all three of them I like a lot. I love a lot. I haven't I wouldn't have seen them like a million times if I didn't, you know. I mean, if I, th- I didn't like them, but I think there's certain things like to me like Night works the best from, like, a horror element. Dawn works the best from, like, a... Is, like, the best part of, like, Dawn is, like, it's... What's actually going on within this, the actual story and its characters and what's going on. Day... The strongest point about Day is, like, it's... You know, Tom Savini's amazing effects in it. So, I mean, like, they, they all have, like... Like, there's certain parts from each film that, you know to me, are, like, just so great and so memorable. At the same... And I'm not saying, like, I think... If I think, you know, Dawn's got, like, the best, you know, characters and story, I don't think... I'm not saying Night and Day don't either. I think everything, like, in all those films are strong, but I think Total Package is... Dawn's probably my favorite. And it's probably slightly more than Day, which is then slightly more than Night. Yeah, I, I, I think I pretty much agree with that. I think that Dawn's probably the best. I like the action sequences the most and the, the effects um, and the soundtrack. Goblin. Yep. Great. Um, And then I would say probably Day right after that because of the um, 
I I like the film, but I just I don't like as much of the humor that like Bud gives it. Things like that. Um, I, even though it's not, I really I think he, the most of the humor comes from the batshit cra- crazy captain. You know. Yeah, that's yeah. true too. Yeah, that I th- I just th- feel like that's even a little bit more over the top. So I, mean, I think I, I, I prefer I, I, the it, dawn. Part I think of it. I think it's um, purposefully like over. No, the, you know, I like, I you know. definitely agree. I think it's over the top on purpose. For in terms of like, here's our military, you know what I mean, and here's, but but, but to be fair, I think I think like like I said, you don't know at that point like how long the zombie apocalypse has been going on, but if it's going on long enough, there's fucking just alligators roaming Miami. That's that's and, true, you know, yeah, like yeah, and stuff, and like I said, like like practically like only one percent of the population is left. If you like, okay, our commander, this base is dead. Now you're in charge. You probably be like, you know. I'm fucking in charge of this monkey farm, Frankenstein. You know, you would be doing the same shit too, and being like, you're finding out like you've been fucking teaching him how to like read and shit. What the fuck are you doing? You know? No, I agree. I I just I I prefer the Dawn of the Dead's sort of like, and it's not always serious, but I prefer that it's it's. No, all you have to do is listen to some of like the lines. Like, we got this, man. We got this by the ass. You know? Yeah, that. Um, any of the Tom Savini biker gang scenes. Uh, but I, I think I just prefer that one a little bit more. I, maybe it's just a preference thing. Maybe it, I don't even know if I have like a reasoning and that's, behind and it. You know, it's great about that too, because when you first saw it, you didn't really think it was all that great. Yeah, I can that's specifically true. remember reading your your. It was one of your uh, first. Uh, Blog reviews could be yeah on uh, the moon is a dead wor- world yeah yeah I mean I, I didn't I don't know if I was a huge fan of it no at you first, didn't because but... no because it's there's a couple of reviews you did around that time like that movie Blade Runner like my friend told me to watch this movie that they're these revolutionary films and then you're like I don't get it yeah that's true yeah. No, I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to sit here and call you a fraud. I'm just saying, like, no, I know, because again, we, like I said, I originally didn't like day that much. I thought it was, you know, like this. This is kind of boring. Mm-hmm. I didn't like land at first. I thought that was like a piece of crap. I still don't like I land that much. I got. I'm telling you, after you, if you watch Diary and Survival, and then watch Land, you're like, wow. All right. I I can definitely understand that part. Of the- <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I definitely understand that. And, you know, there are parts of land that I do like. Um, I like the whole Bush tie-in, you know, as a, as a metaphor. I like the whole... God, doesn't that seem like fucking forever ago? I like Asia. Don't, don't, the, like, don't the Bush years just seem like forever ago? Like they seem like happy and memories. And yeah, and you're almost like, like man, like, oof. Remember when, remember when Bush put that children's book down calmly and... Proceeded to go back, go back to the White House when nine eleven occurred. Those are good times, right? Oh, wait, he didn't. No. He didn't wait, just no. wait. No, he jumped didn't. to Twitter. No, wait. No, he didn't do that. He had, he sat there and kept reading the book. <laughs> he was very calm about it. He didn't jump to Twitter and say anything bad about Muslim people. Um, <laughs> but no, I I um you know I like that. I like Asia Argento in that just because she's Asia Asia Argento. That's Dario Argento's daughter. Yeah, I know. By the way, um. But I don't, I don't have a fondness for land that much. Like I said, I'm not saying it's a great film, but I think it's, it's. I think, like I said, I'm not saying it's, it's acceptable at yeah. this point. I, I do agree with that. Um, 
interesting tidbit is that it's getting re-released. Yeah, I did see, no, you I see did that? see that. And I, and, I, that in Dawn of the Dead, the remake. Yeah. Yeah. So kind of interesting. Um, Makes me want to watch Shaun of the Dead. <laughs> like I said, I don't want to blow our load on the rest of the films because we are going to cover them at some point. Um, do you have anything else you want to add about yeah, George? Br- just briefly. Um, what's your favorite uh, not dead film? Um, non-dead film. Hmm. Creepshow is a lot of fun. Yeah, but he didn't do the whole thing, though, did it? No, but he, I mean, as a part of it, I would say that, and, and as a big, as a big part of it, in terms of bringing it to the screen, Creepshow. I do love Creepshow. Even, yeah. even Creepshow 2, I do like. Yeah, but that one, yeah, no, but we're not kind of, Creepshow, No, I know, no, sure. I know, he didn't, he wasn't really involved with Creepshow 2. I would say, I know a lot of people don't really care for Creepshow 2, but, but I, I do like Creepshow 2. Yeah, I would say, um, you know, Creepshow, um... What else? Um, and probably, I guess the crazies as well um, would probably be my two favorite. Even though, even though, like um, the crazies, you can almost kind of count within the Dead series. It's kind of like an offshoot of the Dead series. Um, no, it is, but I'd say that's like see, that's more like like twenty eight days later. It is, yeah, yeah, yeah for sure, for sure. Um, I would say those two are probably would be my next favorites. Um, I Holy did see... shit. He did a documentary on OJ Simpson. That I don't know. I, I've never seen that. Neither one. have I. It's on his IMDb as we're looking at it. Yeah. Now. He did a TV movie documentary for OJ Simpson. Juice is on loose. <laughs> gotta see it now. That's that's set in 74, so that's got to be the season where he ran for 2,000 yards. Bill's Hall of Famer. I guess so. Yeah. Let's go, OJ. Um, Win that parole hearing. Yeah. I (laughs) got to say that post, um, I guess post Monkey Shines, maybe even post the dark half, it kind of went downhill. I've only... I've seen Bruiser. It's not really that great. Uh... And like I said, I'm not fond of land or survival, and I haven't seen Diary. So I would say probably after the dark half, I, I kind of tuned out. I mean, I out of his films that aren't uh, the Dead series, I've seen Crazies, and I've seen uh, Monkey Shines and Creepshow. I'm um, pretty certain that I've seen Season of the Witch. Uh, it sounds familiar. Um... But I don't recall it that well, so I can't count that one. So I would say the crazies and um, creep show would be my my two non land or non dead picks. Mm, I'd have to agree. Um, all right, so let's get, let's get into uh, let uh, actually you know what let's take a break for a second. We'll come back after a message from uh, another podcast friend, and we'll talk about Night of the Living Dead. This is Full Starts, the show about those presumptuous pictures that studios were sure would spawn a franchise, but didn't. So back on Eternia, yeah. Skeletor sort of locates the key on Earth mm-hmm. with Google Maps. <laughs> and then asks where his mercenaries are, 
He's had uh, to walk past those mercenaries to get into the room. Yeah. Guys, Skeletor is rude. Go on. Okay, go on. Film does not know what mercenaries are. Evelyn assembles them, but then introduces them to Skeletor as his finest warriors. Are they his warriors, or are they freelancers? Okay, name them. Beastman. Um, come uh, on, come on. There's at least one you There's one that's an easy one. I, I know. The, because some mother is always trying to ice skate uphill. The blade. Thank you. Yeah, that's <laughs> two. Uh, <laughs> the fact that we were able to name two you named characters two. in this you, film. You were able to name two. Instantly uh, uh, makes it better than Planet of the Apes. If you like that, you can hear more on iTunes, SoundCloud, Twitter, and Facebook at Full Starts Pod. Welcome back. Thanks for sticking with us on our George Romero retrospective slash Night of the Living Dead episode. So we're going to go right into Night of the Living Dead right now. Um, we let, watched again tonight. Not the beer? Oh, we didn't do the beer, did we? <laughs> you said, I think you said we're going to be back with beer talk. I didn't say that, actually. I said that we were going to be back with Night of the Living Dead talk, but um, you're right. We didn't do any beer tonight. I bring this fancy new beer, and you got to go and... I totally forgot about it, to be honest with you, oh, um, since not... we've got such a extended episode. I'm not I'm not buying anything for you anymore. No, well... You're on your own. Well, let's talk about it. Um, tonight on the show, we have um, a new beer that's out at... And most people probably are not going to know what this is, but... Um, it's at our Stewart's shops in New York, and I think they're in Vermont. In Vermont, and and that's about it. But yeah. they're uh, basically like a convenience store slash gas station uh, that we have around the area. Slash Apparently, ice cream parlor. yeah, slash ice cream parlor. People love their ice cream, especially in Massachusetts. When I went to college, people were ape shit over Stewart's ice cream because they could only get it in Vermont. So it was like a big old. You know, it's like, well, Ben and Jerry's is also stationed in Vermont. It's yeah, a little but, bit better. Yeah. Um, ben and Jerry's, though, costs... It's overpriced. Yeah. When, yeah. We, when we went to fucking Lake George the other day, that smoothie that I got... It was like $6. Well, it was like seven fifty. for, yeah. for yeah. that small it's one. Pretty, it's pretty expensive there. Pretty sure. <laughs> for sure, pretty expensive. But Stewart Shops um, are pretty popular in our area. They they pop up all over the place. Uh, sometimes... Not pretty, say, not pretty pop... They are. They... It's, Sometimes a Stewart shop is across from a Stewart shop. That's that many times. Yeah, it, that is not an uncommon sight to see in like a, a one of our smaller locales. Sm- uh, There's Starbucks before Starbucks. That's right. That's right. Um, and so apparently, you know, they've they've had a uh, regular old lager brew for quite a while now. Not uh, lager, no, it's an ice beer. Oh yeah, it is, isn't it? In a light one, they it's have a technically light one. yeah, technically an ice or a light beer. Uh, no, called... no, they have they have an ice beer and a light one. There's an ice and a light variation. Oh, okay. So they got two styles. Yeah, it originally was just the ice. Yeah, just the ice, and then they add the light. And that's called Mountain Brew. Mountain Brew beer. Mountain Brew beer. Mountain Brew beer ice or Mountain Brew beer light. Is it popular? You used to work at Stewart's. Uh, well, for one. Most people around here... They're going for the bush. Well, besides that, most people around here at one point in their life have worked at Stewart's. That's true. It's, <laughs> I worked at Stewart's. My mom at one point worked at Stewart's. Sarah's mom at one point worked at Stewart's with my mom. <laughs> I have not, but I interviewed there. So, yeah, pretty much everybody works at Stewart's. Yeah, no, it's one like it's... Like, it's like a McDonald's job around here, except you fucking do a shit ton more. <laughs> Then, uh, yeah, 
But no, um, no, people who bought that were drunks or just looking for something. Or people from out of state that find, like, the whole thing. Like, this is looks so terrible. We're going to bring this back to Ohio, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's not really that great. It's uh, pretty cheap. Um, it's made by, it was made by Jenny. Mm-hmm. When, it, when, when they first introduced Mountain Brew beer, ice, came in a 12, you got in a six pack only, or you could buy it in the case of, you know, like it coming in the actual case that we got it in. The six pack was three ninety nine, dollars it was 12 ounce cans, and the case was nine ninety nine for the entire case. Um, the can was this shitty, just silver can with somebody who took Microsoft Paint to it and, like, put, like, the sh- this terrible font. You have to look it up. It's it's absolutely amazing. I was I like one of the book. first purveyors of uh, Mountain Brew. We called around here Panther Piss. <laughs> um, but it was made by Jenny, and even though we, we both like Jenny, it's not good. It, it's not a good beer. It's almost like Stewart's went out of their way to say, like, don't make it that good. No, they, I guarantee they gave them the recipe because, like, with their bread. Yeah. Like, they have, like, their own Stuart, like Stewart's brand bread. Um, tastes a lot like Fryhoffers because it's made by Fryhoffers. Mm-hmm. Which, if again, if you live in upstate New York, you know what the fuck Fryhoffers is. Oh, Fryhoffers. You know, it's like the same thing with, like, Spack and Dave Matthews. You just... Popular, popular brand. Fry but Hoffers. I mean, but they Fry Hoffers makes the bread, but they like Stewart's gives them like their own recipe. Like, gotcha. Like same the cookies. Why do their cookies taste like Fry Hoffers? It's made by Fry Hoffers, so yeah. it's, except it's like slightly tweaked, and you can't get them in the big box. You can only get them in the small box. So that's the same thing with the the Mountain Brew. Then is that yeah. they gave them a recipe, and that's why it tastes like shit. Pro- probably, or they, or I guarantee they probably got no one on the payroll at the corporation that. Knows anything about brewing, so they probably just have Jenny. Like, you do something kind of like your beer, your Jenny Ice. And Jenny was probably like, "Well, we're not going to make it as good as ours." Well, probably for what they're getting paid. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I, I don't. I don't think they make it anymore because once they switched over the labels and they switched from twelve ounce cans to sixteen ounce cans only, I think they switched the contract. But I never found out who the contract was was with when I was working with them because I was curious. I haven't actually tried it since then when they switched those labels over. I haven't even tried the... Li- I want... One of these days I will, but I just can't bring myself to do it even yeah. though it's so damn dirt cheap, but... Um, but we're not talking about Mountain Brew. We will talk- one day. You know, we not will. About it. Like, we'll have to... When we do a shitty movie... Yeah. God, that's what we should have had for Ooh. RoboCop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll do it one day, but uh, actually today we have a new beer that they have. Um, and they've recently branched out into craft craft beers. They they wanna they wanna market to that demographic. And I'm kind of surprised. This is actually something I, I was when I worked there. I was saying for like forever that they should do. So yeah, something for them to do. Yeah, like what, back when the beer selection was limited, like because back um, in 2013 and 12, you had like. The beer cave craze. Like, all the stores are getting beer caves now. Like, there's not just, like, a couple doors of beer. We're going to have a cave, like, this big walk-in cooler you can go into to get your 30 picks and all these. And we'll have another assortment of, you know, beers. Right. Like, especially these craft beers for all. Because where we live in the summertime, because we live on a one of the upstate New York lakes, the Sacandaga. Uh, where we live in the summertime, it's a tourist hot spot. You get a bunch of idiots come in you know to to uh vacation up here this is poor man's lake george 
You can't afford to go vacation up to Lake George, you come to the Sacandaga. So, um, that's why, like, you know, the whole... Before, we, like, you know, and especially over the past, like, I would say over the past decade, like, that's totally picked up. Like, I don't remember when we were kids, like, this being, like, that big of a kind of, like, touristy spot. Yeah. Like, like, most people that would go on the lake were just people from the area. But, like, o- like I think over the past, like, you know, 10, 15 years, it's become a lot more touristy in the summer. So. Right. I think the whole, and with the boom of craft beer, when you're getting all these people from, like, different locales, you want, you know. Yeah, Stuart's is wanting to branch out. And have that variety. So, yeah. people, like, who aren't just going to buy Bud Light, they got, you know. They got, got this their new. Yeah. yeah, they got the new one. And uh, this beer is called the High Cliff IPA. And what's interesting about this is that it's brewed by a local brewery. It's, uh, they're called Schmaltz Brewing Company. Um, they're craft based brewing, at, too. Yeah, they're craft brewing. And they're based out of Clifton Park. They brew um, some pretty good beers. Kosher beers, too. Kosher beers. Because they're Jewish. That's right. <laughs> um, Even have, like, they have the Hebrew ale. Yeah, the Hebrew, yeah. Um. They are um, contracted by Stewart's to brew this beer. It's even on the label. It is very I, clearly. I almost think that. Um, I almost want to say maybe Schmoltz had them do that so people like know like, hey, if you like this, right? Like I, if you yeah. like this IPA, check out Schmaltz. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a great contract for them. I'm I'm imagining because they're not huge. Yeah, Schmaltz isn't huge, but they're probably. Getting a lot of uh, distribution from Stewart's because they have so many shops and so many areas. They don't sell schmaltz at the stores around here, though. No, they don't. Not 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 very often, at least. So it's not getting like schmaltz itself isn't getting out there. But if you're getting maybe in Clifton Park and like you know Albany and stuff, they have like you know schmaltz, like a six pack of schmaltz on hand. But around here, they don't. Yeah. But um, so the first thing that you notice when you you check out the High Cliff IPA is the terrible terrible labeling that's on it. <laughs> Um, which I guarantee, I can guarantee you for a fact, that's the Stewart's decision. It's got, that, la- that label is totally, um, cause it, it doesn't match Schmaltz's at all. Well, like, not only that, but uh, Stewart's again, for the people around here that are listening that aren't from upstate New York and don't know what Sh- uh, Stewart's shops is, they like to tote themselves as mom and pop. Like we're a mom and pop store. We, that's our roots. We've been mom and pop for 70, 80 plus years selling Ice cream, coffee, and all sorts of delights to you, to, to our community. We're cl- we are closer to you, is their slogan. Um, they're not mom and pop though. They got nearly three hundred and fifty stores. So yeah. I mean, mom and pop doesn't have three hundred and fifty <laughs> stores. So no, and and they also they love their locality. They love the geographic, like touting the geographic location. Saratoga, Adirondack. Yeah, which that's, that's that's why I laugh. It's like oh, high cliff, as in. Adirondacks, and it's like, you're fucking from Saratoga. Yeah, right, right? there's no Adirondacks, yeah. That's, that's like why it's I not la- really the Adirondacks. That's why I laugh with, like, Saranac, although we both love Saranac, they, like, have a lot of, like, Adirondack-themed things. Like, you're in Utica! Yeah. You're in the heart of the Mohawk Valley! Don't be... You're treading on Lake Placid and Adirondacks turf, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but I gotta say that this High Cliff IPA, that's the first thing that sticks out to you is the labeling. And that's gotta be a Stewart's idea. And the, but packaging, just, the packaging feels weak, the, too. The, when you lift that... Yeah, no, I agree. I yeah, agree. When you're holding... Like, when you pick that, like, actual package up... No, like, hold it by the handle. 
It feels I, like cheap cardboard. Like it's gonna break, even it's though it's gonna, got this yeah. nice glossy finish to it. It feels like I almost thought like a couple of times carrying it that like it was gonna give out on me. No, I agree. I think that the whole thing about it like is chintzy from the from the actual packaging to the labeling itself. The labeling is very much like somebody went on Shutterstock. They're like, <laughs> we need like a generic sunrise Mountainous. mountain view, and they're like, got the perfect picture for you and yeah. it was on a shirt and you know they bought it like as a stock probably, photograph probably like a nice pacific northwest yeah. photo not the adirondack there's <laughs> i mean i gotta be honest with you schmaltz has its like own style in terms of like what they put out for beer well again it's, it's very you know it's um, it's it's uh you know hebrew inspired. hebrew inspired and i think that their labeling and stuff is very interesting which now this high cliff ipa is very much the opposite like if you were if you were looking in a store and you didn't know anything about any of the beers that are on there. You're just looking at them based on labeling. Highcliff IPA would probably be the last one that you would ever look at because it's just so generically like it just I does think, not stick out at all. I think the target demographic for this would be somebody when you look at it is somebody again who's not from the area who's like stops in they're like looking for like an IPA or something and they Yeah. Again, you're not from the area. And it looks lo- local. So the only IPA that like they have there that's like a well-renowned national is Sierra Nevada. So if you're not from the area, you see this the High Cliff, where you see like Adirondack, you might go with the High Cliff because it's a dollar cheaper. Like, you know, I don't know anything really about it, but hey, I'll give it a try. Right. That or someone who's not you know doesn't really know much or, about or looking for new stuff and yeah. they're in the area. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I could see that, but at the same time, like for us, it really it, it I I'm not attracted to this labeling at all. I think that, like, had I not known that it was from Schmaltz, or that the just the sort of nostalgia of it being from Stewart's, I would not be interested in this at all. Even I, you know, you're not supposed to judge a book by its cover, but I'm certainly judging it by the labeling. But I will say that the IPA part of this is is good. It is a solid and. Middle of the road IPA. I'd give it three and a half, three out of five, not three and a half, three out of five stars. It's just an IPA to me. It's not, an IPA. It's very middle ground. Yeah. It's not going to offend anybody who who likes IPAs. They're not going to be like, "Wow, that's a terrible IPA." There are no one is also going to be swayed. Like if they don't like IPAs and they try this, they're not going to be like, "Well, this this brings something different to yeah, the no, table." No, it's it's totally. And it's not. I will say the one thing I like about it, it's not a West Coast IPA. Because the West Coast IPAs are the ones that I'm sick of. Yeah, on. that's true. I mean, it's so, it's actually pretty mild on the hopping side of it. Like, there's not you're not getting bombarded. It's hoppy, but it's not you know. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not like oh, my tongue's trying to decipher thirty different hops that you know they decided to fucking throw in here. One from each fucking country in Europe that was specifically grown in specific soil under these certain conditions. Yeah, that's and that's kind of why I almost forgot about doing the beer talk on this actually <laughs> is because like it's not memorable. You're not going to come away with it thinking this is the best IPA that I've tried in a while. Um at the same time, like you're not going to come away with it being like I didn't like that. It's really just a middle of the ground. If you're looking for something to drink on, you know, a regular summer day or something like that. Sure. It it the the thing that bothers me the most though is that for a six pack it's really not even that much cheaper than going with something that you know is a little bit better. And well, again, I think again the demographic I think has more to do with it. I yeah I agree. The, the whole what they're going for. I I almost think like I get what they're going for 
with Schmaltz too, because Schmaltz putting out a Stewart's beer is not going to want to go super experimental. You know, they, they're going to want to go middle of the road. And it makes sense for them to accept this contract because they're going to get out to a lot of places. At the same time... Because I'm guaranteeing Schmaltz probably isn't going... Because Stewart's around here goes all the way up to the Canadian border. Yep. All the way up to, like, Plattsburgh yeah. and Canton. As south as, like, Newburgh and as west as Syracuse. And and then they're into Vermont, too. And, and they have, like, 15 stores in Vermont. So that's a pretty large distribution. So for, and I don't think Schmaltz really goes out too far outside the capital area. Which exactly, would be Albany, right Albany, here. Clifton Park, yeah. Queensbury, stuff like that. So I think that you know that is a good. It's a good contract for Schmaltz, and I think that they're them running middle of the road with this IPA is probably a good thing for them because people are going to stop in the Stewarts. They're going to grab this IPA. They're not going to be turned off by it. I want to go to Schmaltz Brewery. I mean, we want to because you know, yeah, absolutely. Like, I want to go there and like ask like someone there, like so, like what you know, ask them about like the whole like contracting, like the like, so, like yeah, you know. I mean, this definitely isn't their best beer. No, but I wouldn't uh, expect it. To be. Yeah, I wouldn't expect it to be, and it's and it's certainly not like a bad beer either. So I think they've really hit on the target that they've they wanted. And who knows if it sells well enough? Maybe we'll see High Cliff Session IPA. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, maybe they'll because this is actually high at six point two percent. That's pretty high. Uh, you ABV. really, and you don't feel it at all. No, not really. I mean, it's pretty high ABV for a uh, uh, IPA like this. So um, and, kind no, of interesting. No, it's more, no, it's more normal. I would say an six, IPA six, like this is probably more like five and a half. This is six. This is six point. This is like running up towards like six and a half percent. I think it's a little high. Six point two. Yeah. So I, I mean, I think this one. I think it's a little high on that on that scale actually. But um, you know, I I would say that this is a good a good job, and you know, anybody looking for a regular style IPA would not go wrong with a high cliff. Um, just get past the labeling. But get past the labeling, and you'll be okay. Yeah. So if you've never heard of Stewart's, but you stop in upstate New York and you see Stewart's, stop in and try it. Just be, just be warned. The cashier is being miserable. It's because they've worked there a long time. That's true. Don't take it out on them. No, that's that's true. That's true. Retail is hell. <laughs> All right. You know what? Because we're running long, let's roll right into Night of the Living Dead. We're not running long. We're running long. No, we're not. Yeah, we are. We got a lot to talk about. Well, we do. That's true. So this, this this is Wolf. This is Anderson Cooper taking over like Jake Tapper show right now. Jake Tapper supposed to go on. Guess what? Breaking news: Anderson Cooper still going on. <laughs> you don't get to see uh, Jake Tapper. I don't know you what don't, any of that means. You don't get to see <laughs> the lead tonight. I don't. I don't watch any of that. Well, you need to watch more CNN because it's literally the same stories just over and over again with different anchors. Just about. Well, I feel like Wolf Blitzer's the situation room is on for like eight hours straight. It's not, not but it feels like. It. <laughs> All right, so Night of the Living Dead. Um, probably one of the first things that I want to bring up about Night of the Living Dead is actually one of its worst points <laughs> is Barbara. In, as I say, in memoriam. Yeah, exactly. Is Barbara. Because Barbara is probably the film's worst character by far, and the biggest flaw uh, I would in say, Night of the Living Dead. I would say all the women in this film are fucking terrible. Well, that's true. It's not just Barbara. Every woman in this film is useless. Barbara is not useful. 
she gets traumatized, goes catatonic. Immediately goes into, like, catatonic shock. catatonic shock. And she's gone for the rest of the film. Judy is just... Barely non-existent, almost non-existent. Just meathead, beach boy wannabes, oh gosh, golly gee man's, you know, girlfriend, who's just there, like, because he's got to have a girlfriend. And Helen... The wife is, li- she's, again, literally just there to be like, I hate my husband. I love how, <laughs> That's yeah, I love how John Russo and George Romero made her such a bitch in this film, though. Because, I mean, yes, granted, her husband is a total dick. And he's constantly a dick. And that's why she's not getting dick because he's a dick. So he's too busy being a dick to himself and being proud of his dick. And she's like, I want dick. And that's why she's looking at. Ben, like, I want his dick. Yeah, but at the same time, I mean, they did really go out of their way to make Helen such a major bitch in this film. I wouldn't say, no, I wouldn't say, you're being sexist. No, I'm not being uh, sexist. No, I know, I'm, but I, I, just, I, I'm, I just think that... I'm joking with, for the love of God, I'm joking with that one. Jesus Christ. No, I don't think she's being a bitch. I mean, she's bitchy at times, but she's not being a bitch. She, if she's coming off as bitchy and bit, uh, being a bitch, she has every right to be a bitch because her husband's a fucking asshole. Yeah, that's true. If, if, if I was married to her, too, I'd be like, you're a fucking asshole. Our daughter's dying of like some kind of fever that we don't know and you're too busy like, I gotta be right. A black man is trying to tell me what to do. This is 1968. I don't want to deal with that shit. I don't want to deal with a I vote. I vote for fucking Governor Wallace. God damn it! The Dixiecrats will rise again. That's why you know why. If anybody is questioning a black man's role in power, it's certainly Tom because he he definitely comes off as the stereotypical uh, guy who does not want to take any crap from a now, black person. But at the same time, I don't know if it's intentional or not. I don't think it is. I don't think. Yeah, you're right. I mean, um, you can totally infer from that. Again, as I've we've talked about before on the podcast, jokingly saying about how like when like it comes to, like like say like Dawn of the Dead's like commentary, like oh the zombies and the mall represents like consumerism and the greed and and it's like I don't really think Romero was thinking about that. It just kind of happenstance its way into the film. Um, jokingly saying that because I do think there's I really do think there's elements of that. But at the same time, I think even more so with Knight, I think it's more happenstance in this film, because from reading from interviews, he didn't cast Dwayne Jones to be Ben because he was black. He said he because that was the best guy to, who yeah was I, for the role. And I I definitely so I think I think it's more just like a happy happy accident that like you have a strong black lead in 1968 when that's. Outside of Sidney Poitier, you're not really seeing that, you know. I honestly think that says more about George Romero as a person than it does the film itself as a theme. Because you're right, I don't think that's really intentional in terms of, like, let's have a strong black character who leads everybody else and, you know... And And is willing to fight against, you you know... I mean, you can even kind of see that metaphor play out towards the end of the film as um, Ben is shot by the posse and, and you know as a as like a and then the fucking as, end, end credits stills it, it almost like you can see that as a metaphor and it even works today you know as a, in terms of like 
police shootings and you know black black violence and uh you know black lives matter things like that you can see it today but i don't think that is intentional you're right i i think that it was more so the again, fact that again, george again. romero just said hey this guy's pretty fucking awesome in this role and i want him in the film and i don't know if that that says more about george romero at that time being like sure let's cast a black guy i don't care you know it doesn't matter who he is it, it, well it's an independent film so it's not yeah, like it's, it's not like, like let's let's cast not, a black guy it's not like columbia's making they're like whoa 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 <laughs> hey hold on a second here <laughs> you yeah, yeah we have robert you sure you don't want robert redford for this? no you yeah <laughs> i agree i mean i think that's it just says more about george romero that he was willing to admit perhaps not, not will even, not willing not but even, he's like He's yeah. just like he's the a best bl- guy. You yeah. know, he's just like he's the best suit for the role. He plays the part perfectly. And, and that's what that's what I want. And, so and then what tra- and then yeah. what transforms, you know, everyone's like picks all these things up. Again, like I said, it's a happy accident. I don't think all of those like political things that are, like people get away from this film are intended. But at the same time, this is the great thing about art. Doesn't really, at the end of the day, matter what the artist intention is. It's the audience's what they infer from it. Like you know, yeah, you can absolutely ascribe certain elements to it. So, I mean, there's again, there's a certain parts like art artist intention. Like because again, you hear a lot of times. Like I'm trying to think of off the top of my head, but I might have a hard time right now. But uh, thinking of like certain things where like an artist has like a specific intention. And then people are like, oh, this is what I got from it. And they're like, no, this is this is what it's supposed to be. Like, and like, and everyone's like, I don't get that at all. This is, you know. Yeah, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at this point. And it, I think that it's really interesting about Night of Living Dead because you're right. Night of Living Dead, for m- the majority of it, especially in terms of its dialogue and things like that, it doesn't really have a political motivation. It's there's it's just survival. It's it's a survival movie about people finding out that. And, and maybe the only real thematic political motivation for this film is just that we can't really trust our own government in terms of... I think that's I probably would, the, the biggest theme that comes out. I would... No, I wouldn't say government per se. I'd say it's more people. Yeah. I think it's more... You have to have trust in people. If yeah. you don't... If... if because, again, if you think about the whole situation that happens in the bar, if they actually worked together, they would have been fine. Yeah, None of the shit that happens to them would have gone down the way it did if they just worked together. But, every like, all the characters are... Like, not all the characters, because it's mainly just Ben and Tom that are having... Not Ben and Tom, Ben and Harry. Right. That are having that power struggle... Between, like, you know, who's right and who's wrong, while everyone else is kind of just ancillary, like, you know, Tom, like, is just, like, trying to weigh both sides. Like, you have some good points, and you have some good points, we should do this, and then the wives and the girlfriends are just kind of like, eh, whatever, we're just here, you know? So, it's, it's, I think it's more, it, I think, it's not more like you can't trust, it's not about not trusting the government, it's more about the fact that the zombies are in this film and then later on the series are so impactful, even though they're slow lumbering and clumsy is the fact that in numbers you can easily be overwhelmed by them because 
you're overwhelmed in numbers. If you work together, you'd easily be able to get out of the situation. So it's, and that's a theme throughout every single dead film is the fact that the characters in the film don't gel and have their own struggles with themselves and their party that they all end up getting fucked because they can't get along. If they just kind of, you know, set their differences aside and work together, they'd be fine. Yeah. And that's the main part of this. If, Ben, you know, because you can say, like, Ben's a great, you know, he's a strong, great, strong black character. At the same time, if at some points he's willing to, like, okay, let, you know, I'll listen to what you have to say. Yeah, he he does have you that know, issue with... He's, you know, he's very, you know, we praise, a lot of people praise him for being so, you know, such a strong character. and But at the same time, he's just as stubborn, stubborn as Harry. The difference is... Harry comes off as a more crazy. Ben's a little bit more cool-headed, but they're both stubborn. They're both set, like, I'm right, and this is what we need to do. Instead of trying to compromise, like, as Tom was trying to do in the whole thing, like, Ben's like, we should stay in upstairs in the barn. That way, if we get surrounded with them, we'll have at least a way to break out. And Harry's like, no, we need to go down the cellar. It's the safest. We'll be able to bar ourselves up and be good. If they just took the Tom perspective of like well why can't we be upstairs and look if we have to fall back we can fall back to the cellar because if we're in the cellar we have nowhere to run if they decide to come in but they don't because they're both strong you know strong-headed so yeah it's yeah. either one or the one or yeah. the other it's so like it, either it's you're very, in the basement com- yeah. or you're up, yeah. upstairs so it's black and white pun not intended <laughs> um so uh, yeah i think that's the central theme if they just decided to work together, they then wouldn't be able to easily get out. Again, you think about it. If they work together, instead of like sitting in the barn, they could break out. And they're in a, a fucking open field. An open field would be a very easy way to get away from zombies. Especially when they know they don't they don't walk very fast. Yeah. They're, they're shambling. So yeah. they, so they know that. They so. would have a very easy time. But again, it's the fact that their, their inability to work together and to cooperate is what fucks them all over. And that, again, that's not just... This film, it's all the films. It's a central point in dawn. It's a central point in day. It's a central point in land. It's a, it's in all of them. So, and I think that's the biggest takeaway. Yeah, I mean, I think I think when I was talking about government, though, too, is that you know, in this film, the uh, the cutaways to the TV and radio parts of the of the film are pretty important too, because those are really our only. Um, it's so different from today, and I love that. Yeah, I know. There, those are our only real view into like what's a- actually happening in the world besides and and our characters. And they're, and they're studious. That's the great thing. The news reporters are studious in trying to inform people. Again, not like CNN or MSNBC, Fox or Fox, like breaking news and like this is why this asshole's wrong. This is why this asshole's wrong. There's we'll no... have a debate. It's literally just like we're like okay, we just gotta. Literally, they even say in the thing, like, the local news channels have banded together, you know, local stations have banded together to form this emergency network to keep you supplied with news. Could you see that today, like, Fox, in the cr- moment of, like, crisis? They're like, like well, if, let's like, work Like, if a MSNBC. nuke or something went off, like, in the United States, like, okay, well, ha- like, Fox and CNN and I'm- MSNBC decide to have, like, a joint, like... The operation to work together to get like this is what's going on. Oh my god, this, what a terrible thing! This is what we need to do to get people informed. They'd be like, no, fuck that. They'd, each have... They'd be like fighting over each other. Yeah. To to <laughs> be the first one to interview. Yeah, absolutely. I, I can see that. Yeah, I love that. Um, 
I think the biggest thing that we get with those those break-ins, though, is the fact that no one really knows what's going on. And we know that they're in some way our government and their scientific experimentation is to blame. Even though we don't know exactly what, I wouldn't say what is happening. It's just funny how they all disagree in that one interview between you know scientists and generals and things like that. They're all disagreeing about what is the the cause of this occurrence. And even though, even I will say, they're all very cordial to one another, uh, calling each other, I, I, you know, saying things like, I must disagree with these gentlemen. It's like, that would not now, be happening like, today and, again. And, and, yeah. and again, like, and I thought we are agreed that we didn't agree that that was <laughs> the cause of what's going on. So very cordial. Yeah. Uh, you'd have a panel of four on Fox, like if, like people just yeah. fucking yelling at each other, or CNN, or whatever. I know, I, I love that part of it, because everybody's so, you know, like, well, we must agree to disagree. Uh, we don't, we don't, we can't come to a consensus on what actually occurred, so, uh, I respect this gentleman's opinion, but I must, must say that I find him incorrect in that assumption. The internet has destroyed that. That's right, that's right. You, you can't just be wrong at this point, like, or you can't just, you can't just think, like, someone's opinion is wrong. It has to be wrong, and, uh, you're right because of this, and uh, it is a fun moment, but I, I think that's a big part of it, too, is that, you know, and that's why they're, they, the film and Romero focuses on those parts of it is that we, we have to f- see that like there is no, no actual cause for, for the, you don't need it. Zombies, you don't need it. But at the same time, there is that, um, dissension within higher ranks. It's like, what happened? Like, what did we do? Something was I think, done. I, well, no, I think the, it's more the paranoia you're supposed to. I don't know. I've from what I get from that that scene is more so like we know we fucked up. Like so, something no, I, somewhere fucked up. I mean, and we I get, well, we can't come to a consensus on how same, to like describe it. But at the it. same time, like the rest of the films, they don't. Like I said, each film has like a different kind of spin. So again, I don't think any. I don't think. I mean, granted, if you look at this film on its own, then yeah, you could kind of infer that. But from what we know from the rest of the films is there's there's nothing there's nothing concrete and some of the things that they kind of do to kind of hint towards something they're literally just there so like it's like an oh that's an interesting idea at the at the end of the day they don't fucking matter the whole how the dead become living it doesn't matter it's not even crucial it's not even like a significant plot point in fact you i wouldn't even want that like really explored i don't need to know how you don't want to know how it actually occurred no because it's not important to what's going on because like an alien parasite that crash landed on earth you wouldn't you wouldn't want to know no because that that would be (laughs) no i know i'm just saying i know but that would just make it like totally fit and i agree it would be like you know at that point i think if you if you know Romero was still alive, and he he eventually said, "You know, this is actually what caused the events of." Dino I was Lo- I was inspired by B movies from yeah. the fifties. This yeah. is actually what caused the dead films. Which, and by Eddie, the way, this this film is absolutely can, yeah. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about it in a second. But it, you know, if if he was to say, come out and say, like, this is the cause of the dead films, I think in in everybody would be in some way disappointed, even if it was like exactly what you thought it was. I feel like you'd still be disappointed because there's nothing that's now at this point having it not been answered for we'll we'll say three films in the original trilogy. Um, there's not you're not going to be surprised or impressed. It's it's ha- it's going to have been guessed at some point, and it, I don't think that it matters. 
You're no, right. Cause it, no, again, because it's like it's like with Star Wars. I know you don't. You're not well versed in Star Wars, but it's like with Star Wars. When you get to the Phantom Menace, you have Qui Gon saying like, "Why is Anakin such like apparently a Force adapt like uh, adaptee? Oh, he's got little things in his bloodstream called midichlorians, and that's what gives him his Force." It's like you just you ruined the Force. Yeah, you because there's the mystery involved. And the, it doesn't it's, matter. It's, it's fine that like it's uh, it's. The Force was fine being just, like, the spiritual idea of, like, some people have this connection to nature and have this awareness and self and are able to do these things. To connect to, like, oh, there's these parasites in your body, in your bloodstream called midichlorians that help you be able to do these things. Like, well, you just fucking ruined it. Thanks, yeah. George. Thanks, asshole. Not this George. Not George. I know. Yeah. yeah. But, so... But no, no, I agree. So I mean, the, but the, I, I'm saying the dead films. I don't. I don't, wouldn't ever want them to. Be, here's a definitive reason why it happened. Because again, like I said, it it doesn't matter. The whole point of these films is the struggle in humanity to be able to overcome adversity by not being able to to you know work together. And again, that fits well with the time period. If you talk about like. Again, like I said, historical. I don't, I don't think yeah. it's intentional, but again, the whole civil rights movement, and then later, like the Black Power movement of the late sixties, which was going on at this time. Yeah, I'm not saying say say that's un, unintentional. No, no, I'm not saying that's inferred in this film. But I, after watching the film, you could easily be, you could easily say like that whole, like again, the whole, the whole idea that Harry's not like you could infer is like. I have a black guy telling me what to do. What the hell? I you, you can see that subtext. You can see that subtext. Again, I'm not saying, and I don't think it's intentional whatsoever. If you infer that from the film, though, I can totally see it. And you can and, and totally understand it. I mean, you can also see it in terms of just a simple, um, again, evolutionary a, complex, it, too, of, like, survival of the fittest. Obviously, Harry, at that point... Is, is an older man. Is an older man. He's not making the best decisions, and there's that you know evolutionary aspect too of of he's a coward. Yeah, exactly. He's a coward, and and Ben is not. And it, he's willing to take the fight. He's there's an inferiority complex yeah. in there. There's a lot of things that you could yeah. infer from the film that probably were to totally unrelated to what George Romero was actually going for, which was pretty much at this time. Let's make a entertaining horror film. Yeah. Really, it, I I don't really. I mean, I think that you could ascribe a lot of things to it, and, and even George Romero could say, like, you know, I did mean some of this to be metaphorical, but at the same time, I really think that the the actual idea of Night of the Living Dead just stemmed from let's make a pretty entertaining, fun B horror fun film, yeah. horror film. And like you said previously, we'll talk about this a little bit now. Um, this Night of the Living Dead is certainly, even though it's 1968, so that's kind of advanced in terms of like movie history. It we're still in black and white, even though at this point in time it's gone. We <laughs> don't need to be in black and white. It could be a color film. The 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 availability of color film is certainly out there. If you're a big major studio, you definitely have the money for Technicolor. You're, yeah, you're filming in Technicolor. Which, by the way, or, you know, the different scopes, which, by the way, that's something I miss. Of Technicolor film? Technic there's like film Filmed and in technic Technicolor? Or like sure. film and cinema scope. Like, yeah. it's like, ah, oh, yeah. where, where, like, oh, fuck you, digital for ruining that. Like, those, like, 
But, so but great. Th- that black and white, that uh, kind of aged quality, even in 1968, lends itself to those B-movie inspirations that obviously were helpful to George Romero in, in creating this film. When we talk about like historical horror films, uh, Night of the Living Dead often comes up because of its zombie... You know, it's zombie characters. It's the Godfather zombie It's the creation of zombies as we know them now. The modern, yeah. The modern modern ones. But in this time period, in 1968, I would venture a guess that George Romero was pretty familiar with the zombie films of old in the 30s. Uh, and even earlier than that, like if we're talking about like I walked with zombie, like earlier than that. I, I was reading online that he said he didn't think they were zombies. He didn't think that his Night of the Living Dead creatures no, he were zombies? Like, like just like more like ghoulish. Which, yeah, sure. I mean, I, I would say it doesn't really matter in terms of like how he characterizes them. But I would say that he probably at that time period was at least familiar with no, no, the zombie I, 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 films not, of not, old. No, I'm not saying he didn't know because he did. You're saying like he's like, oh, I didn't like those zombie films of old. I didn't think I didn't think what I was doing was like that at all. Yeah. But again, I could I, I can t- definitely see that. Um, it, it's just interesting to see like the the. Uh, evolution of the zombie film because those those original films were very much steeped in like i would say racist voodoo voodoo qualities um in terms of like we don't really understand the voodoo nature which which i say which it's the whole like zombie thing is it's you know voodoo yeah yeah i mean that that was the big thing at at the time during like the 1930s especially like uh when we're talking about white zombie and things like that we're almost, you know, borderline racist, like, uh, what's voodoo? We don't really understand it. So we'll just say, like, they're, it's it's a bad thing. It's a, it's a horrible thing that turns people into, into these zombies that, you know, they don't have their the capacity to think or feel anymore. They're just, you know, slaves. Um, and, and then it kind of, like, takes that quality and turns it on its head. And I would say that probably if we're talking about in terms of either voodoo zombies or George Romero zombies, I would think that it probably would be a little bit worse to know in Romero zombie films that, hey, at some point, I'm going to become that. Whether you're bitten there's, or not. There's you, no, when like... You, when you die, you become a zombie. Yeah, there's no, there's no, like, out from that unless you kill yourself and you shoot yourself in the head. There's no... You can't get out of it. And I, it's really interesting in Night of the Living Dead that scientists and the news, they pick up on that so quickly. It's like all of a sudden everybody's just like, we realize that you well, have probably, to shoot him in the head. Well, they probably had one like, cha- like you know, the government testing, they probably had like one chain they got, that they caught chained up, like like something like Day of the Dead, chained up and they shot it. And like, why is this thing fucking still moving? And they had one like get plugged in the head and like... Oh, that does it. Oh, it's been five minutes. He's not moving. Yeah, that that, that, that All right. did it. All right, shoot him in the head. Um, which I will say is kind of one of the things. I will say it's kind of a weak point for me. In not, Night of the Living Dead, and just the, or Romero, in the Dead series, and in the general. Romero zombie films at all. I think the fact that, like, especially the, the whole idea, like, I don't think in this film, but as like I said, like with Dawn, like the whole like when there's no room in hell, your soul, you know, the dead will rise and roam the earth type thing. Like, okay. So why is it that nothing, you know, they they can't get killed, but if you shoot them in the head, 
or they do brain damage to them, they're dead. The synaptic qualities of the chemical makeup of the brain. I mean, I, I think, I think, I think it'd be much more creepy. If they just can't die. There's no matter what you do. Maybe you can slow them down. Yeah, that, I but, mean, but they can't. They, they just can't die. And that would make it like a lot, like you know. In terms of zombies, that would be like the absolute worst. Is that there's just this unstoppable force, and it's like, well, you know, you shot mm-hmm. them in the head. You try, you shot them. You, the only thing you can really do chop is like chop and, off the limbs, and like hopefully they stub can, their way. <laughs> yeah, they can't really get around anywhere. So you have to. But in in that t- sense too, that would be pretty horrifying for the people that know at a certain point, like. I'm probably going to be that. I'm well, probably no, going to be a lifeless well, body. Well, no, it's not, that, it's fucking... not that like I'm probably you are. Cause again, if you die, no matter how you die in this universe, yeah. you're going to become a zombie. Yeah. And especially if so you can't it, kill them, then yeah, you would, you would yeah. know at some point, like I'm just going to be a body at that point with this endless with, hunger. Yeah. <laughs> and it's coming. Yeah. It is pretty spooky. And I can, I can absolutely see in 1968 why that, kind of uh theme especially in the horror films of the in, day yeah, or... would be would be scary for audiences at that time because you have that you have to kind of think in terms of like what they hadn't seen at that time and that kind of endless lust for hunger is it 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 kind of makes you see th- your entire world differently your your religion differently it's it's a it's a very weird sensation to think that like well maybe there is something there is life after death and maybe it's not as good as you thought it was you know maybe it's not like the the you know the heaven that you were expecting um i think that that kind of added to it in sort of a blasphemous way too you know in Again, with th- religion. It's again, not, I, again, I think you're inferring we're more. Reaching, yeah, exactly. I don't but know exactly same... how 1968 uh, audience goers felt, but I I can see how that would be an experience. You know, now we're not super religious. We don't have a lot of people who are you know constantly attending church and things like that. But at the time, I oh. can see how that would be a a scary prospect for moviegoers. Who haven't hadn't seen that previously, and I think I think Romero, when you're watching it now, it's a little bit hard to see like Night of the Living Dead as an actual scary film. Like when you're watching it, do you really no you yeah I don't really get a scary aspect from it either, but I can see at the time um, Romero choosing a black and white. Uh, I think it works in its benefit. Filming, it works in its benefit because... Not just is, based on him being, you know, not being able to get, you know, a color. Yeah, I mean, that it, was... The color aspect was part of the budget. It was part of, you know, it was part of, like, being able to have an effective special effects thing. You know, sometimes blood looks better in black and white. You know, it looks mm-hmm. more goopy and it looks... You know, you can use chocolate syrup and it still looks the same. You know, it looks very goopy. You know, that makes sense. But I think even more than that, him choosing a black and white uh, perspective for the film um, allows him to play around with, like, lighting and shadowing more than even a color film allows. 
Um, I, haven't so really used, I, have, I haven't seen the colorized version of this. I have not either, and I don't, actually. I, to be honest, I really I don't, don't really have, care to. Have an, no, I don't. Yeah, care. I don't have an interest because, to me, it's always really going to be in black and white. I mean, that was the the um, choice, the decision that the director made. It's not like Mad Max Fury Road where you can be like... You can do both. And, yeah. Well, in that sense, that's different because the black and white aspect of it is like trying to emulate films like this. And films from the 50s. But at the same time, George Miller and Fury Road uses such vibrant colors. It's Yeah, it almost know. negates the purpose of that. But I could see how it could work in black and white, too. I haven't seen... Sure. Because he did release it in black and white. Sure. Too, and I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, it's like the chrome edition. Yeah, but yeah. I could see how, you know... I get the merits behind it. In, but, with, like, but with this, I, I like with it being colorized, I would be like oh, this. You know, I'm going to yeah. use a big word here, but... The chiaroscuro in the film is, <laughs> I, I think, really great in some aspects. Like, when you think of... Um, Define that for people. Just the shadowing that's used and the the, uh, oh, okay, the so contrast you between, you know, the light and dark. So you couldn't say shadowing, you had to say chiaroscuro. I had to use it. <laughs> um, no, but I would say, like, in terms... When we're talking about Helen's sequence, you know, where she... After she's been murdered by her daughter in the, in the basement... And then Ben comes down to the basement and he sees her and she's kind of highlighted in light, but there's also that shadow obscuring parts of her. That's a pretty creepy scene, even now, in terms of like how it looks so... I think, I think the sound of the sound like effects and distortion they used to of her screams. Yeah. That still, I think, still works really good too. It's not like scary, but it does come off as like creepy. Yeah, and I, I think that yeah, I, I think, think he does a good job utilizing the black and white aspects to his advantage by obscuring certain things and making it look almost intentionally unnatural. So like her highlighting uh, in the light is is unnatural. Like we wouldn't expect mm. now to see somebody like highlighted like that in a basement. It seems ob- obviously out of place, but in the film, that unnaturality is pretty intentional. I mean, this is an unnatural situation. I mean, this is, it's not like we are running around with zombies every day. It's an unnatural situation. I think it it actually does work in this scenario to his advantage in terms of highlighting specific aspects of the film to make it scarier. And and that's not just with Helen, but with Karen as the child. Um, he doesn't even really have to do... Romero doesn't even have to do that much with special effects or makeup or anything to make Karen look like a unnatural zombie-like figure. It's it's more of a, a lighting thing that, that lighting happens. Lighting and like, camera angles. And camera angles. And it works really well to the film's advantage. So you could say, like, now... I hate when people say, you know, they can't watch an old film because it's in black and white and that just takes them out of the film. We, we talked about it in House on Haunted Hill. Uh, that's that's just absolutely not true because there are different aspects to a black and white film that add depth and layers to the horror of it that doesn't come out in color films, and it's it, it's just a just different. Man, I can't like like, like I, I didn't think I've mentioned it before, but just think about it, it's like thinking about trying to watch Citizen Kane in color would ruin like a lot of the shots in the film that Orson mm-hmm. Welles was able to get out of it through the lighting and the camera angles and the shadows that were you know created from it. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, there's just no, you can't, you can't say that like, because it's in black and white, you can't derive horror from it or you can't be scared by it or because it's older, 
there's it's not just, as good. It's not as good, or it's not as scary. I guarantee the effects in this film look a lot better than a lot of modern day films. Yeah, because again, I, they had they had they had to be creative with it. You, it's like if you want this to be, you know, shown on screen, you have to do it, and like you have to figure out how to make it look real. Mm-hmm. So the same thing. Like it just like blows my mind thinking about it. like like hate to use the example like like Star Wars or any other like film like that. With, like, all the miniatures that they had to use, like, to create, like, explode, like, the explosions and the fight scenes with, like, the X-Wings and stuff that you see. They had to get creative with it. It looks great, and it looks awesome, and it's like, that's, you know, and no one does that. Why? It's like, we didn't just have it CGI'd. And, yeah, unfortunately, it's probably cheaper to just have it CGI'd in. And there's a lot less creativity to it. And, again, as we both said, as I say, as we both said before... I'd rather take a practical effect that doesn't look great over a CGI effect. Because at least with the practical effect, even if it comes off as cheesy, it's tangible. You can, you know... Right. You when, can when set... You can, your, all your senses are able to, like, interpret it as, like, this is something that's actually happening. You can totally spot CGI from, like, a, even really good CGI. Your, event, your eyes eventually can discern, like... Uh, I'm not seeing something natural here. Well, I would say like Night of the Living Dead, it does have its cheesy moments in terms of how the they, zombies the are zombies eating. eating organs and things like that. At the same literally time, fucking pork bones and shit that they're sitting there like chicken, just, chicken yeah. on us. Yeah, but I, I they, wouldn't they, have it any other way because I say the crew, the crew bought a bucket of chaos, you know, a couple buckets of the Colonel's finest that day. They had themselves some nice biscuits and coleslaw and yeah. taters and gravy and. Someone had a liver. And ate some chicken, and yeah. At the same time, though, I wouldn't trade it. Like, I wouldn't have... It's part of its charm. Yeah, I wouldn't have... It's, a... what, they, it's what they had. Again, I wouldn't want to... Imagine how stupid it would look. It's like, we're eating CGI meat. Yeah, exactly. It would look, yeah. like... it would look ridiculous. At least this looks... You know, even though you can tell... If you're taken out of the context of the film, like, oh, that's probably, like, chicken bone. That's probably just, like, some random meat that they found. At the same time, at the time, it's real. You know, and not only that, at the time, at the time, it's pornographic. Yeah, because it's it's like you haven't seen anything. Like it's not the you know that's considered brutal for the time. Again, they haven't. Nobody's wandered to think of hostile yet. You know, or you know, I would say you know, like watching this film and trying to put myself into like a puritanical sense. That's a pretty brutal scene of them feasting on things. And if you can really immerse yourself in the film, which I think you can, Night of the Living Dead, if you're if you're watching it seriously, you can immerse yourself in the film and it, you kind of get caught up along with it, uh, especially in terms of how much Romero works on character, then you you can see how spooky that would be and how disgusting uh, seeing them eat all of those organs would be not like that. Even if you like, oh, like, oh, they're eating chicken or whatever. You don't want to see somebody fucking sitting there, like, like, mm-hmm. yeah, like <laughs> throwing, yeah, like it's almost like be- watching a guy like be- just deep throat a chicken bone to like suck off all the meat and yeah, marrow I'll do, and yeah, I'll do that in my private. If I'm eating wings alone, I'll sit there and like you know like get every little bit of meat off the bone. And, and you need ch- a wet nap too. Yeah, after. And, no, no, and like, <laughs> but like and just totally enjoy like you know and be very you know fucking bombastic about the whole process. Yeah, 
I'm not gonna do that and like. If I don't want to see I, anybody if, like feasting on cartilage on film. Like if, if like if I'm eating wings with like at like at a restaurant, like say it was like me, you, and a couple friends, we went to a restaurant, got some wings. I try to get them as clean as possible because I hate wasting meat on chicken wings. But I wouldn't be sitting like making sure, like, yeah, you know, like okay, that's clean. I'd be like, okay, I ate enough to where I'm not gonna. Look, if I eat any more, I'll look like a fucking idiot. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, no, I agree. I agree. So no, I, I in that I, sense, I do think I, it's still sense, disgusting. Yeah, because yeah. in that sense, again, like, do you really want to see somebody sitting there, like, fucking with a ch- like, giant like rib leg and like fucking no that's, going to town? You're on. like, like that's hedonistic bot from Futurama. Like, yeah, you're like, mm, yeah, how delightful. And I think even you know when they first, when both Ben and Barbara first see the corpse that's upstairs in the house. It's still a pretty frightening moment, even though, like, now you 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 can watch it and see, like, well, that looks pretty fake. You know, well, the, like that. the body looks fake, but... Thinking about it now, it's like, well, how come they become a zombie? That is true. Not like that. How come Helen become a zombie? That is also true. See? Well, no, Helen did come become a zombie. I don't ever Yes, really she has the spit. Yeah, she does. You you only see a very quick glimpse of it because they can't... They don't show headshots in this film. So, Ben... Oh, the... Oh. Right, exactly. So, so what happens is basically she wakes up really quick with the spade in her chest. She kind of like just flutters open, and then Ben shoots her in the head really quick. And it's it's a very like split second moment. So it's between her and Harry. They're very million times I've seen it. That's uh... yeah. It's it's a part that you can actually easily miss because, like I said, all of the headshot moments of the film are off screen. I'm, and I'm guessing particularly because that would be difficult to pull off. A squib then? Yeah, yeah. a squib like that. <laughs> and and it, actually, I will admit, the squibs in the chest areas look good. pretty well done. Um, and even good reactions from the extras that, that are on set. But but I, I would definitely bet that Romero skipped out on headshots simply because that's a tough thing to pull off, especially in... in in this 60, film, yeah. yeah, like, you know, 68 with a low budget. So I think that's probably the reason why we don't see an actual headshot in either of those scenes where, you know, he's shooting both Harry and Helen. They they occur off screen. But um, but I think, like, yeah, in terms of, like, the cor- corpse upstairs, like I said, this is a film that you really, you, you can get into as an audience member viewing it as a realistic uh, a realistic time capsule, really. And I think, you know, if you can get into it like that, you will find those elements creepy. You will find it a bit disgusting. Um, you'll even understand the shock aspect of, like, how Barbara kind of recedes into herself throughout most of the film. Even though, like, you know, it, it is annoying. I, I, I'm not going to say that know, Barbara is not an annoying character. She totally is. No, no. I, I Viewing think it from now, I think feminist perspective would be like, that was a horrible portrayal of women no, in but, general. But, but at the same time, it's understandable. I, you could put a man or a woman is going to, if, you know, depending on like yeah, how, how their strength is emotionally. Is going sure. to be, you know, like. She's already and, and and I will admit that Romero does a good job. She's already a very emotionally frail person, even when you start the film, because it's not like she Johnny's Johnny can't even handle even... being in a cemetery. You, you know, and, no, and it's funny like again the whole I people probably <laughs> it's funny we're an hour and a half into this and people probably don't even get the in, the opening of the intro is the fact that the, 
when she's telling her side of the story of what happened in the beginning of her and Johnny in the cemetery and what happened, some of the things she's saying just didn't fucking happen. So that's right, why you got, yeah. you got Trump going, wrong, wrong. He's like, he was teasing me and I just laughed. It's like, wrong. You didn't, you weren't laughing. Like, stop it. Yeah. Stop it. You, you were, were very upset. You were, you were going like, oh. And like, when you're like, I tried to apologize to the wrong no you did not try to apologize to the man you tried you were trying to walk away but your dumb ass when you were trying to walk away decided to have fucking brush shoulders against him and try you know instead of like i'm gonna take the farthest route away from this creepy guy yeah that's your own goddamn fault you know yeah i, I, I would say that like <laughs> you know barbara is not really she's not a likable person but she is an understand you can understand her as a person um i think that if you can really get into that opening scene which Really, everything in that opening scene happens quickly. You know, you're kind of thrown into the whole scenario very fast. But if you can understand Barbara as a character from the beginning, in terms of probably uh, being mocked and terrorized by Johnny as a kid and growing up, and then being an emotionally frail person even at her age now, it makes sense that she could go into shock and just be a totally useless person in a zombie no, no, apocalypse. No, no, I, no, I, and I, I totally agree. I, again, she's not likable. It doesn't and, mean and, you have to like her. And no, yeah. and she's ca- like catatonic and useless. But again, at the same time, like if I was in that same situation, like if I was like Ben, like okay, we gotta do all this shit, and she's just sitting there, be like, and she's like, you know, she go comes across and slaps me. I'd probably punch her too. Like, that's it, bitch. I'm leaving you to die. Like, I would have no tolerance. If, if I wasn't the one, you know, like her, catatonic, like, we're all going to die. If I now was more like Ben, like, let's, we got to do this shit. If I had someone on the team, like, we're like, all right, you sit here and you die. We'll go do, you know, whatever. I cannot be bothered to, you know, deal with, you know. It's a great moment, too, because you think, you know, maybe he's just going to slap her. You know, that's a pretty common element in films of this nature. Oh, and he cold cocks her. But, yeah, no, he just goes right off. And... Fucking, and, oh, his punches are great. Especially when he's punching Harry. It's literally like Romero was watching an episode of Star Trek with Bill Shatner. Copying and Shatner-esque elements. Shat- one of Shatner's great fight scenes from the original Trek. And he's like, that's how I got to have my man fight in this film. Throw these punches that are literally like downward angled, like, you know, even though the guy's like same height as me, almost like downward angled, you know, yeah. punches, and they just like, it's, it's great. I, I love it. I do too. I absolutely love it. All right, so out of uh, 10 exploding Chevys, what would you give Night of the Living Dead? Nine out of 10. Nice. I, I, I definitely thought you would go somewhere. Upper eights to nine. Yeah, nine out of ten. It's a classic film. It is. I love it, despite its flaws. Um, we didn't really talk as much as I'd like to about like how disconnected from the franchise this film is, like with its rules with the zombies. True. Yeah, I mean, we talked about it a little bit in the intro, but yeah, it's- I mean, it definitely is disconnected from. Dawn at, and at, day. Cer- at certain point, like because people consider this the grandfather of zombie films, like this is what sets the rules up. And I would disagree with that. I think it's Dawn. Dawn's the film that really sets up what we know as Romero zombies. Yeah, this one almost feels like an offshoot of uh, Universal Monsters picture with Frankenstein. you know Frankenstein, uh, afraid of fire. Um, 
Because the, zo- the zombies in this, they it's again certain points they're like not just shambling, they're kind of they're running. Like w- the whole chase sequence at when Barbara's getting chased through the graveyard, the, zo- the zombie's not shambling after her; he's running and then being intuitive enough to pick up a rock and smash a window. Yeah, this is and, almost like a precursor to land. Yeah, and and you have. You know, Karen, the daughter, using a when she turns into a zombie to attack her mom, she doesn't try to just eat her. She grabs a gardening trowel yeah. and stabs her with it. And I think that there's a total in that sense in this film. It's, there's a total disconnect from how the zombies act in this to how Dawn later kind of establishes, and then kind of as the canon of the films continues on. Yeah, and I think to some people, if you're if you're paying attention, you'll and you've seen the other films, then yeah, you'll find that kind of distru- you know jarring and how. Th- yeah, and again, I think not only that too. I think the fact that, like, oh, the way they devour people, um, it's disconnected. But that's just more because of technical reasons. You can't, you know, they can't do what they then within Dawn of the Dead of how they you know people then. You know, zombies devour people. They can't do that in '68, and then especially with the budget that they had in this film. So that that's just more acceptable technical limitation. But I think so again, some of the elements of like how like in certain points in this film they're running, they're using certain objects to their advantage and showing some kind of intellect. It's that's totally disjointed from disjointed from the rest of the films and. Not saying it's a hindrance or anything, but I think again, it's it's a noteworthy thing. It's something that the rest of the films don't have. Right. Yeah, I would I would say I would probably give it an eight and a half. Um, I it is a classic film. Um, I think that part of it, in terms of why I give it an eight and a half, is that uh, some of its uh, dialogue scenes run a little bit long. I think um, this is a, actually a fairly long film for the time period. I would say at almost an yeah, almost an hour and forty minutes long. And I think that it probably just a little bit of that dialogue could have been excised, um, especially because compared to the rest of the film, especially when you get like dawn and especially day. Yeah, it's a lot more set in the '60s way of like people talking and yeah. Yeah, I think that some of that dialogue could have been excised, even in in terms of uh, when we, you know, our intro uh, with Barbara talking and telling her story. It's a very long winded version of that story that really is kind of unnecessary. Just and, like we were in the, in the graveyard, and yeah. some man attacked us. Yeah, and... it's it's almost it's almost uh, in some parts just too long, um, and the 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 actual um, dialogue part of it is just. It goes on for too long, and I, that's what that's one of the its biggest flaws. Other flaw that uh, we talked about a little bit um, is the music, which is sometimes feels a little off. It's because it's stock Ooh, music, it's, <laughs> you know. It's not sometimes it's <laughs> in a lot of spots. It's uh, again, I think the black and white tone and kind of how kind of people look and talk and the di- the way the dialogue's framed, and then you pair that with the music. This movie fit, almost feels like at times it fits much more in line with the 1950s like in Twilight Zone. Like you could easily yeah. see this being like a more mature Twilight Zone episode. Yeah. Than you know like something that you'd see especially in the late 60s. Like, yeah. At like this e- point. like Easy Riders about to come out like in the, you know I think Easy Rider came out in 69 not 60. No. 
Yeah, sixty nine. So a year like so like a year later, you have like Easy Rider coming out, and they got all long hair doing drugs and sex and shit. Sure, and then and we, this one, you got characters like oh golly gee Willikers. <laughs> and even you know they're even still like there were some horror movies releasing at this time period that were a little bit more, especially the Italian. Yeah, yeah exactly. They were a little bit more risque, uh, yeah. risque than than what this is. So yeah, I, I think that you know the the actual soundtrack element of it is a little bit off. Um, but other than that, it's a really enjoyable film. Um, one, one more thing I do want to bring up, because I, I did just think about it, I'm kind of actually surprised we didn't bring it up, is the ending. Yeah, the uh, the actual surprised, the surprise ending wherein Ben is shot and killed. The, it, the, the ending to this film is one of the best endings in cinema history, if you ask me. Yeah, I would say that it's a very surprising moment, and Romero doesn't do anything to kind of foreshadow it or... Uh, you know, contemplate it before it actually happens. It just happens, and you the audience is left to go with it. Just, just because what happens is because we you we see after the night's over, you have the local posse that we saw on the news is hitting the area with dogs and their guns, and they're just hunting and shooting this. And you got because again, all Romero films, especially especially in Dawn, we get the, the whole giddy scene of like the rednecks just shooting the zombies for fun, sport while drinking beer. It's literally like that, except toned down more. They're not drinking beer and like, and you know, um, it's more tame for the time. But they're they're on the hunt. They're again, they're a posse, and they're you know hunting you know the zombies down, burning their bodies, and they're going across the state doing that. And when they get to the farm that Ben Co had been held up in, and Ben's the only survivor. After he wakes up and he comes out of the cellar. The posse's nearby, and Ben hears, like, you know, them outside, and he's wondering what's going on, he goes to, like, look out the window with his gun, pointing to see, and they see him, which they don't really give you, like, a framing of the distance between them, so you can't really tell how, like, far off they were, which, which that's, that's one thing that sucks, is you can't really tell, like, how far off they were, but they are apparently able to spot Ben through this window, and a guy with a shotgun's able to pick him off and shoot him in the head. That's it, Ben's dead. And that's pretty much it for the film. I mean, and then, the, but the, what's also great is again, it's a great, shocking, and unsettling ending that our hero, through all this and his wits and yes, sometimes assholishness and stuff, but he was able to survive. And he was always trying to do what's right. Was just a casualty because he looked like he was one of them. Yeah. And but what's even better though is the fact that the end credits is just this somber mix of still shots of the posse coming up, you know, to the house, taking him out of it, taking him out of it with meat hooks to drag his body, to throw it into the fire with, you know, the, the burning pyre of bodies that they have set up in the field with them talking over like, "Hey, we got another one." Yeah, grab the body and drag him over and Again, this is our hero. This is the one that you know. Yeah, we're you know we've been rooting for essentially for the entire film, and he's this unnecessary casualty because, and you can't again you can't blame the posse. They're just doing what they think they should. Because do. at the same time, it's like if you saw somebody probably poking their head out like around a window, and you're you know at this point just looking for you know to shoot, and you probably wouldn't too. You probably wouldn't ask you know questions if you shot him. You probably come up and be like. You you wouldn't really have any reason to suspect when you got up there after he's dead. Like, 
oh, he wasn't a zombie or anything. Right. So, you know, I think that whole kind of gut punch, uh, surprise, somber ending, and then the way they just... Romero has those end credits with those still shots. It's really great. Yeah, I, I like that a lot, too. I think it's a depressing and sad ending to the film, and I think it works really well. It's a, it's, it's probably one of the highlights of the film, actually. So. It says, I think it's one of the best endings in all cinema, to be honest with you. Yeah. Just how, like, you're like, it's out of nowhere, but at the same time, it's not like, nah, that's bullshit. Yep. It fits with the tone of the film. That's right. Would you? Because at the end of the at the end of the day, when you watch this film, would you really want to see like like some kind of happy ending? No. Like he like stumbles out of the. There street. is no like, happy like, ending like, for it. Like if he if he stumbles out of like oh thank god he joins the posse like we're gonna be a merry band of you know fucking zombie murderers. Yeah, you know? no, there there is no happy ending for it for sure, for sure. All right, so I hope you uh, enjoyed our George Romero retrospective, uh, a send off for a great horror director. Um, and we are really happy to bring you Night of the Living Dead and start at the beginning. Um, and I'm sure that we'll be doing the rest of the movies at some point on the podcast. You know, Maybe not this year, maybe next year. I don't know. But we'll, we'll get to them for sure. Because uh, they're a big part of horror history. And we, we definitely want to uh, give those a shout out and, and actually give them a proper episode. Um, next week, we're going to be doing Dread. We pushed it back a week because of this retrospective but next week rain or shine we will be covering dread no matter who dies that's right no matter who dies um so we'll be covering dread next week so stay tuned for that episode uh if you want to discuss night of the living dead with us uh please head over to our facebook page uh we also have a facebook group uh so find either of those blood and black rum podcast um we're on twitter at ryan and or i'm sorry at blood and black rum um Give us a shout out on there. We have an email address. It's bloodandblackrumpodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Patreon, patreon.com slash bloodandblackrumpodcast. Give us a donation and uh, help us fund the podcast. And then definitely check out our website, bloodandblackrumpodcast.wordpress.com. We post all of our episodes up there. And you can also uh, help us out with any um, of our sponsors because we do have a beer of the month club. Uh, we have a wine club. Um, there's, a, there's a few things that we've got up there. So uh, I do every episode. I post up those links. So click on them and order something and you'll help save this podcast. Uh, we appreciate you for listening. We hope you join us next week for Dread. Um, and uh, thanks a lot for sticking around with the Blood and Black Rum podcast for 76 episodes. So we'll see you next time. Take care. <laughs>